Well, we live in a divided nation. I mean, just think about this week and uh, the elections and not at what everyone was expecting, much closer than expected. Power is just right there on the margins. You got red and blue. We're a divided nation politically. We're a divided nation morally. We are a, a nation that disagrees on what is right and wrong. You have many who are fighting for the right to abortion, a moral right. You have many that are fighting for LGBTQ rights, free sex, anytime, with anyone, any place, without consequences. On the other hand, there are many working to maintain some sort of biblical moral compass in the world. And these two, these two sides clash. We're a divided nation racially. I just bring up names and images will come to your mind. Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery. These images are just symbolic of the racial conflict and divide that our nation has. Or in recent weeks. I mean, all you got to do is just, okay, what, what's going to be the, the racial issue next week? Right, just in recent weeks, um, one is Twitter, right, with um, Elon Musk and now more for the, the N word has been used 500% more than before. Just that's racial. Kyrie Irving, last week, the NBA is wrestling with racism front and center. And now, I hope you know that none of this is new. Um, New Testament times, there was a political divide. There were Romans on the one side and Jews on the other. The Romans held all the power and the Jews were subject to them living in a police state. Where the, the Romans had complete sovereignty and control over them, and there was some self-regulation, but the, the Romans had all the power. There was lots of political disunity in those times. New Testament times, there was a moral divide. There were many Jews following after the ethic of the Old Testament. And the Romans, on the other hand, were idol worshippers, engaged in cult prostitution. New Testament times, there was a racial divide. Racism was alive and well in the times of the New Testament. In fact, that's what I believe it comes out of our text. To understand our text best, you need to understand racism of it. So if you haven't done so already, I invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 22. This text is really going to show us the racism that was present among the Jews and among the Romans on both sides. It wasn't just one way, it was both sides. It's in our nation. The racism isn't just one-sided, it's both sides. Both sides for sure. But we're going to see Jewish racism against the Romans. We're going to see Roman racism against the Jews. In fact, I would even argue that you will not understand the New Testament unless you understand the racism that was present in the days of the New Testament. Because it so much affected Paul's ministry. It so much affected his heart. It so much affected his letters as well. Well, the title of my message this morning is simply Racial Tension. So I want, I want to read our text. Yes, I do. I want you to, to look for the tension in the text. The racial tension. Up to this word, they listened to him. And then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. As they were shouting and Throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust in the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, 
Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? He said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought the citizenship for a large sum. But Paul said, I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately, and the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he's being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and the council to meet, and he brought Paul down and set him before them. This is a difficult text to try to figure out exactly how to preach it and how to unfold it, but I, I do think that there are some things to teach us about racism and about the racial tension that exists in the New Testament. Now, if you remember, let's set up some context about these words. Um, in recent weeks, Paul's been speaking to this hostile mob. They were hostile because they had supposed that, that Paul had brought a Gentile into the temple area, which, of course, was forbidden by Jewish law under the penalty of death. And this Jewish crowd was in an uproar that the temple would be defiled by such a one. And so Acts chapter 21 and verse 30 says they seized Paul and they dragged him out of the temple and they began beating him and they would have killed him if it were not for the the intervention from the Roman police who arrived on the scene and they apprehended Paul and began to take him away from the crowds. And yet Paul desperately wanted to speak to the crowd, to set things straight, and, and he persuaded the arresting officer to let him try. And by some miracle, when the crowd saw that Paul was speaking, they, they hushed and they, they quieted down. And Paul proceeded to give his testimony of how God changed him. We saw that last week, how he was a, a persecutor and an oppressor of the church. But he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, where he was traveling to persecute Christians. But that encounter changed his life. He began preaching the faith he'd once tried to destroy. And he was then following in the ways of God and walking in obedience to Christ. And one of the ways he was walking in obedience to Christ is that he went to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And that's the phrase that sets the crowds off. That he was preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And once he said that, he could speak no further. And so in verse 22, we see the racism of Jews against Gentile. Look there again at verse 22. It says, up to this word, they listened to him. Up until he said, Gentiles, they listened to him. They listened to Paul describe his life before he met Jesus. They listened to Paul describe his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. But when Paul mentions how he was called by God, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. The crowd erupted and Paul could speak no more. In fact, look at the uproar, how it's described in verse 22 and 23. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air. I mean, what a reaction. Shouting against Paul. Away with such a man. He doesn't even deserve to live anymore. And then they're taking out their outer garments and throwing them around, maybe throwing them. You know, all the crowd just this uproar. And they were picking up the dirt. And they were throwing the dirt. You know, just making this commotion. Sort of like the, the toro, you know, the bull. He's snorting, right? That's what they were doing. They're just taking this, throwing in the air, causing this whole uproar. Because of one word. What was that word? Gentiles. That's racism. That's racial 
tension. It was as if almost this word was taboo. Something not acceptable to stay to say. It happens today. There's some taboo words. In churches, there are taboo words. Can I just say some of them? Social justice. Taboo word in many churches. CRT is a taboo just even to say these words. Or Black Lives Matter. To taboo even to say those words. Because these words are enough to evoke this emotional response in people. Because of the racial tension in our society. In fact, I've heard of pastors being fired from white churches who've dared to go through the Old Testament and preach about what God requires of justice of God's people. Irrespective of social justice. And by the way, the justice of God is a major theme in the Old Testament. The major theme in the scripture. We are justified before the Lord. But just this word justice is often linked then to social justice in the minds of the hearers, and that sets a trajectory for whatever you try to say, it is heard differently. So likewise, the word gentle, the mere Gentile, the mere mention of this name, this word was too much in our crowd to hear. <clears throat> in our age, listen, it's, it's no different. In fact, I know of, of people who have left churches because a pastor would not denounce the phrase Black Lives Matter. In our racially divided nation, the words black lives matter is taboo. Let me ask you, do black lives matter? Yes. Do black lives matter? Yes. Do blue lives matter? Yes. Do white lives matter? Do unborn lives matter? Yeah, it's true. But because I wouldn't say no, black lives don't matter. I had a conversation with someone from this church about this very phrase. Because... I didn't denounce the phrase Black Lives Matter. See, in his mind, Black Lives Matter meant a total embrace of the organization, which is wicked and unchristian. We had a five-hour conversation with someone who was super concerned the direction of our church were going woke. In case you didn't know, we're going woke. Just to let you know. Because I wouldn't denounce Black Lives Matter, I said in this conversation, Have you seen any evidence of any of the social justice, Black Lives Matter movement coming into our church? No. Have you noticed anything about CRT coming into our church? No. But because I wouldn't say Black Lives Matter is wrong, it was taboo. And the family left our church. So taboo is that word. And I mention that just to give you a little insight how volatile this word Gentile was for the Jew. The mere mention of that word was enough to bring hysteria into the crowd. Verse 22, up to this word they listened to him. Up to the word Gentile. And because that word held such a cultural baggage that after that word was was said, no intelligent, rational conversation was able to take place. In fact, Paul wasn't able to finish his testimony. He was cut short. Even a direct word from God, a quote from Jesus himself, who said, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles, was not enough. And the reason why Paul couldn't continue was because of the deeply rooted racial tension that was alive and well during the days of the New Testament. And we've already seen that in the book of Acts. Do you remember the gospel first went to the Gentiles, recorded for us in Acts chapter 10? 
It's this great story about Peter in Joppa praying on the housetop. And as he's praying, he falls into a trance. And he sees this vision, a sheep coming down with all these animals on it, very unclean animals. And, and the voice said, right, eat. And he says, by no means, Lord, I've never eaten. I'm not going to eat. And then the voice said, what God has made clean, do not call common. And it happened a couple times, and Peter's up there pondering the message, and all of a sudden, there's a knock at the door. And, and these people come to the door, and they, they speak about this man, Cornelius, who's in Caesarea, a couple days away, journey. And now he had this dream, and now he was told to go to this house in Joppa, that you'll find this man, Peter, he's staying in the house of Simon, the tanner by the sea, and you should go and, and talk with him and bring him, because he's got a message for you. And so Peter's putting all these things together. What, what I've called common, do not call unclean. We're coming from the Gentiles, and so even though he knew that it was against the law for the Jewish law, whatever, to eat and associate with Gentiles. He went to Caesarea and he preached the gospel to them. He told them of the life of Christ, how, how Christ went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, and how Jesus was then put to death on a cross. But he was raised from the dead and he appeared to Peter and the, the disciples and was commanded to preach that Jesus Christ is the, is the judge of the living and the dead. And how everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And as soon as he said that, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The Holy Spirit came upon them. They were speaking in tongues. They were believing. And they were baptized. Wonderful time. But when Peter came back to Jerusalem, he faced the wrath of many in Jerusalem. Many of the believers in that city, they were Jewish. And just the thought of the gospel going to the Gentiles was abhorrent to them. Like, like, what? Why? Why did you go? In fact, they're criticized. Acts 11, verse 3. You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? Like, you went across the city and ate with them? You associated with them? It's pure racism. That's what it is. They're different than us. They're a different race than us. So then Peter recounted the story of his dream. And the dream of Cornelius. How they coincided and how he went and preached to them and the Holy Spirit fell upon them and how they believed. And only after hearing Peter's explanation and after a time of silence as they all kind of took it in and reflection, they glorified God, concluding Acts 11, verse 18, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. God is stirring. God is moving. And to these Gentiles there in Caesarea, God granted them repentance. He gave repentance to them. So they repented and believed. But that was long from solving the racial tension that existed between the Jews and the Gentiles. In fact, even in the church, the, 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 the tension was still there. The, the early church fought long and hard to overcome the racial tension between the Jews and the Gentiles. Acts 15. Remember that text? It records the Jerusalem Council. When the leaders of the church gathered together to solve this racial tension between the Jews and the Gentiles. And the big question was this, how, how, do you, how do you reconcile, bring together these, these two groups of people who come from a Gentile background and from a Jewish background? How are they to fit together, right? Are the Gentiles to be circumcised? Um, what about the cultural differences? What about beha- behavior? Are the Gentiles to be circumcised? I hope I said that right. What about the cultural behavior, the Gentiles? There's cultural differences that the Jews would find abhorrent. 
And so at that council in Acts 15, you see Peter speaking first, telling the story about Cornelius. Then Paul speaking, telling about his missionary travels. And then you have James speaking from the deep wisdom of understanding of the complexities of all that's involved. And in the end, there was some give and take for the racial tensions to be resolved. It was decided that Gentiles would not have to be circumcised. They would not submit themselves to the law of Moses because to do so would deny the gospel. Christ Jesus came to be an end of the law, to free us from the law. We don't need to keep the law ourselves. Jesus kept it for us. Yet the Gentiles were called to avoid the sinful cultural practices that would highly offend the Jews. And so in this way, right, the the churches were to meet together with Jew and Gentile in racial harmony in the church. But that magical decision from on high, the leaders of the church, didn't magically solve all the racial problems in the church any more than desegregation in the South solved the racial tensions in America. It, it like set a trajectory. It set a good trajectory. But a racial tension still exists. They still existed in the, the time of Paul and Peter. In fact, Peter himself was involved in this decision who saw Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council, all work out. He knew exactly what needed to be done. Had to be confronted by Paul for his hypocrisy in the whole racial matters. Galatians 2, I want to read, verse 11 through 14. But when Cephas, that is Peter, came to Antioch, Paul said, I opposed him to his face, for he stood condemned. This is the apostle Peter. Stood condemned. Why? What's the issue? It's this racial tension. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw their conflict was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before all of them, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Right? In other words, right, the Jew and Gentile were together, but then some people came in and said, no, 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 we can't associate with those people anymore. We're different than them. We can't eat with them. And it's like, you're dividing the church. Acting hypocritically and standing condemned. Even Peter's walking hypocrisy over those things. Because racial tensions run high. And what the church was finding difficult was even greater for the Jewish community. right? Those who believed in Yahweh but even rejected Jesus. For them, the thought of the Gentiles, even hearing a message of a Messiah that they didn't believe in, that was too much. I mean, just think about it, right? When, when Paul was coming and preaching, he preached Jesus as the Messiah. And the Jews rejected it. They said, no, Jesus wasn't the Messiah. And then it's, it's one thing, like, no, I don't think that's true. And then Paul would go and preach that to someone else. And they would hate Paul so much, even for preaching to the Gentiles. He says, it's not even true. What are you doing? What? Like, and they pursued Paul. In fact, so much so, the main cause of persecution was Paul for Paul was Jewish opposition for him bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. That was the main source of persecution. That's what you need to understand in terms of understanding Paul's ministry. Yes, he did receive some persecution from the Gentiles, but primarily, even we see here, we're going to see in his trial, he's going to be upheld by the Roman law. He's going to be dealt with in dignity. It's the Jews who are going to go against him. The Jews we're going to find in chapter 23. We're going to find there's a plot to kill him. They're trying to subvert justice because they hate him so bad. Why? Because he's preaching the gospel. This Messiah they didn't even believe in. They're preaching that to the Gentiles. But that was the cause of persecution for Paul, right? So just think through Paul's missionary journeys. His, his first place, big place he, he went after the island of, of Paphos, he came to um, 
Pamphylia in Antioch of Pisidia. He, he was there. And you remember that talk when he talked in the synagogue? He was sitting in the back of the synagogue and said, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement to the people, speak. And he got up and he spoke about Jesus and the Messiah and the hope. And the, the synagogue was sort of happy about that. And, and when he left, they begged him that he would come back again next week and talk to them about these things. And so during the week, there was some flutter about, the, about this, this um, Pharisee that's come and talked about this Messiah that's come. And, 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 and some people heard about that. And so the next Sunday, the next Sabbath, Saturday, there were so many people that almost the whole city gathered in the Sabbath, in the synagogue. And when that happened, with a bunch of Gentiles in the synagogue, it says the Jews saw the crowds and were filled with jealousy. And immediately, just because of the presence of the Gentiles coming approach, coming close to their synagogue, they're filled with jealousy. They want a Messiah for themselves. They want the promise to be for the Jews, not for those dirty, yucky Gentiles out there. They began contradicting Paul. They began reviling Paul. Say, no, Paul, you're not right. What, what they received a week earlier, now they denounced and denied just because it included Gentiles. Right? You like something until it includes them. and Oh, you don't like that anymore. It's at this point that Paul then turned to the Gentiles, quoted from the Old Testament, to the Jews who approached the gospel, saying that God had made us a light to the Gentiles that they may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. This wasn't anything new. In fact, in Romans 15, you can read quote after quote after quote after quote where God had set forth a vision of all the nations coming before Him. But this, the Gentiles, when they heard that salvation has come to them, they rejoiced. Because salvation has come to them, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, Acts 13, 48. But while the Gentiles were rejoicing, the Jews were not. Instead, they were incensed and they stirred up persecution against Paul and they drove him out of their district. That's where Paul's persecution mainly came from. Jews who hated the fact that Paul was reaching out to Gentiles with a message from God. Then as Paul moved on to Iconium, same thing took place. Jewish opposition to the gospel drove them out of town. As Paul continued on to Lystra, the unbelieving Jews from Antioch and Iconium even came to Lystra said, no, you can't even preach that there. They made a journey to another town to kick Paul out of that town. They stoned him, left him for dead. The same story is repeated in the second missionary journey in Thessalonica and Berea. And in Ephesus, even he faced the same things. The Jews so hated the Gentiles that they could not see them even hearing a message about a Jewish Messiah even coming to them. It all stems from the racial tension that exists between the Jews and the Gentiles. Days in the New Testament. And we see that in our passage. So great was the tension that the mention of a single word, Gentile, stirred the mob into a frenzy. But that wasn't the only racial tension we, we see in the text. Not only see we Jews against Gentiles, we also see Gentiles against the Jews. Uh, I, I trust you can see the racial tension here in verse 24. So, Right when they're all shouting, verse 24 says, The tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why it is that they were shouting against him like this. Right? So this, this tribune, basically, like he didn't understand what was going on. He didn't understand why the crowd was so angry. And it's understandable because the, the tribune was a Roman guard. He spoke Greek. He was surprised that Paul spoke Greek because he thought he was an Egyptian. He says, you speak Greek? Paul says, yes, I speak Greek. He says, oh. So when he asked for permission to speak, he said, well, okay, you're not the same guy I thought you would. And so when Paul preached to the crowd, he preached in Hebrew. I mean, you can even see that in chapter 22, verse 2. 
And when he heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. Now, that might be Aramaic, but whatever. It's the language of the Jews. But as, as the military guard, right, observed Paul's speech to the crowd, he didn't understand a word. He didn't speak Hebrew, didn't speak Aramaic, didn't speak the Jewish language of the people. So to him, it was just, you know, gobbledygook and whatever. I mean, you, you've seen enough of foreign language people speaking. He didn't know what was going on. And then all of a sudden, the crowd erupted in anger, in hostility. They said, get him away, get him away. And, and the tribune was rightly confused. And he wanted to know what was going on. <clears throat> not, not for his own curiosity. <clears throat> Excuse me. He wanted to know what was going on. <clears throat> that made it worse. He wanted to know what was going on, not just for curiosity, but for the safety of Paul and of future governance of the people of Israel. Like He's got to figure out what's going on so this same agitation might not work, happen a second time. But did you hear how the tribune was going to find out what was said? You, you catch that or just kind of go over that? Re- I'll read again. The tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting at him like this. Examination by flogging. Do you know another word for that? Torture. So you could have said this. So we will, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks and tortured until he confessed everything that was happening. <clears throat> Torture. That's what um, nations do to their military prisoners. To try to exact the military intelligence they can so they can win the war. All is fair in love and war, including torture. Not according to the Geneva Conventions, but countries get around the Geneva Conventions. Just shh, don't say anything. This is what communist nations do to churchgoers when they try to get information from other Christians. They torture them. Who's the leader? Where do you guys meet? Are you going to meet? I'm not going to say anything. Well, you see your fingernail there? I got my pliers. Let me take off your fingernail. Are you going to tell us now? I'm going to take off your other fingernail. You're going to take off all your toenails. You're going to take out some teeth. You're going to hit you. You're going to beat you. You're going to shock you with electric shocks. I mean, all this sort of, whatever goes on, that's how they get information from people. And that's what this Roman was going to do, this Jew. I think this is racism. The Roman centurion against this Jew. Order him to be tortured until he talked. And, and this is not a pleasant experience. One commentator described it this way. This was a particularly cruel manner of scourging that consisted of a beating across the raw flesh with leather thongs in which were inserted rough pieces of bone or metal. And the thongs were set in a stout wooden handle and it was not uncommon for the victim to die as a result of the flagellum. Lashing. Ripping away the flesh. Tearing it up. And my point this morning is this, is to show the simple order for flogging that came so quickly from this Roman tribune showed the dominance the Romans had over the Jews. It's no wonder the Jews hated the Romans. If based upon this, he could just say, oh, go flog him. Like, really? But also the Romans hated the Jews. I mean, have anybody under the rule, right, when Romans conquered a, a people, have uh, anybody under the rule, um, the Jews were the most difficult of any people to, to govern. 
most people groups would bow down. Whatever the Romans said, they would do. If they required offering incense to Caesar, they would do that. If it means bowing down to him, they would worship Caesar as God. Yes, he's our God. And as much as they feign or they believed it or not, whatever, the Romans, as much as they commanded, the people would generally do that, except the Jewish people. They had within them the, um, the bound by the law of God and they would never bow to Caesar. They would never offer incense to Caesar. They would never admit that he is the sovereign ruler of them because they were bound by law to worship the true God, the only true God, and not to bow down to humans. So this made the Romans' rule over the Jews particularly difficult. As a result, the Romans detested the Jews. And sometimes, this like here, they even came to torturing them. And so quickly, this is racial tension. Because they're trying to subdue these people, and these people are resisting it, and just back and forth really hard. We read of the torture beginning in verse 25. But when they stretched him out for whips. That is, right, you're going to stretch out the back so it's, so it's taut, like so, so it doesn't have any, so it's going to rip really easily. And you need to take it by binding your arms around a, a um, whatever, a pole and lifting it up or, or binding your arms left and right and stretching them out so that your back is, is taut and laid bare so that when the, the, the whip strikes, it's going to hurt. And, and so at that very moment, when they stretched him out for the whips, verse 25, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, right, is it lawful for you to flog a man who's a Roman citizen and uncondemned? It's like this is a trump card. He could have played it earlier, but he played it right before the whip was about to, to go. Paul knew it was unlawful. And uh, it's, it was lawful against a Jew, but not lawful against a Roman. So consider that, right? This was lawful against a Jew because of the racism, not lawful against a Roman citizen. Cicero, a Roman who lived in the first century B.C., so this was before Christ, said to bind a Roman citizen is a crime. To flog him is an abomination. Paul knew that. So did the centurion who was about to carry out the flogging. And so the centurion, when he heard that, right, he then came back and, and talked to the, the tribune who's the, the commander. Look at verse 26. When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, what are you about to do? For this man is a, a Roman citizen. And, and by the way, you didn't lie about these things because if you lied about them, it carried the death penalty. So you can say, oh, I'm a Roman citizen. Well, you might save yourself from flogging today, but you'll die tomorrow. So people didn't really lie about those things. Anyway, the tribune came, right? He, he, said, he, he said, go flog him. Go find out, right? You centurion, go do it. But as soon as centurion came back, so he's a Roman citizen. So the tribune then, this is like you're calling in the manager. Can you call in the manager? The manager comes. And the tribune came and said to him, verse 27, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Paul said, yes. And the tribune answered, well, so I am. I am too, right? I bought this citizenship for a large sum. That is, I, I bribed somebody with it. I got it somehow. And Paul said, but I'm a citizen by birth. And so those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And so the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and he had bound him. See, Roman citizenship could be obtained in several ways. First of all, it could be rewarded. It could be a reward for some deed you did for the Roman, um, for the Roman uh, Empire. For service rendered, you could have, be a citizen. You could be a citizen if you purchased the right, like this, this um, 
Tribune did. Or if you're born into a family that possessed privilege, they pass it on to their children. And so the Tribune bought a citizenship for a large bribe. Paul was born in a citizenship. And he's a Jew, right? So you got to like do some thinking here. Like, how is he a Jew? How is he a Roman citizen? Well, it must have been that his his ancestors, his father or grandfather, did something that the that the Romans rewarded citizenship upon them in Tarsus for some reason. We don't know, but we know he was born into this place of privilege, if you will. But revealing this really demonstrates that Paul's legal standing, if you will, is actually higher than this tribune standing, because he was born. He didn't have to buy into Roman citizenship. Right? But the question still lingered, right? What, what, what did Paul say that, that caused such an uproar? And so we read in verse 30, it says, On the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he's being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. And next week, we'll see what Paul says to this council. We've got a chance again to speak. And I'll just give you a hint. He's going to say one word, and this one word is a taboo word, again, that sets off such a frenzy in this, um, in this council about Jews uh, between Pharisees and Sadducees. Right? But let's get back to my, my point here this morning. I'm just thinking about, as we think about this text, the racial tensions are high in our land, but they were high in the first century too. And you think about what's the only thing that will ever solve the racial tension in our land? It's one thing, right? The answer is, what? It's the gospel. It's Jesus. It's the cross of Christ. And why is it that the gospel will come and solve this religious tension between Jew and Gentile? Why is it, how is it, that the gospel will come and and break down this division between white and black and brown in America? How will that happen? Well, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we transition to that. Turn over your Bibles to Ephesians 2. Of any passage in the New Testament... I think this passage most clearly describes the reality of the cross to help solve racial tension. It's a great transition, really, for us to celebrate the Lord's Supper because it shows Jesus. Now, <clears throat> perhaps you're familiar with Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10. It speaks about our own salvation. We are dead in our sins, but God makes us alive by His grace. He comes in not by works. He grants us faith and grants us repentance to, to trust in Him. We can't boast before the Lord because he, he comes and does that on an individual level. And then verse 11 and following, He speaks about the corporate level. Not like what He did individually, verse 110, what He did corporately in verse 11. Let me read 11 and 12. Therefore, remember that you, He's talking to Gentiles, Paul's writing to Gentiles. And in fact, I would just say, if you don't understand the racial tension in the New Testament, you won't understand Ephesians. Ephesians is all about Paul celebrating the fact that Jew and Gentile are together in one body, as we will see. Therefore, remember that you at one time, the Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision mockingly and despairingly and racially and hatredly by what is the circumcision which is made by flesh by hands. Okay, remember that you Gentiles were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. See, we aren't Jewish. Us here today. We're Gentiles. And as a result, all Gentiles had no promise from God. No scriptural promises that we could claim. God didn't promise to send the Messiah to any of us. Right? It was the people of Israel that he was sending the Messiah to, 
not the Gentiles in the world. So as a result of that, we, particularly the Ephesians, were separated from the promise of the Messiah. Had no Messiah, had no hope for one to come and save them. In fact, that's what it says there at the end of verse 12, having no hope without God in the world. I mean, a hopeless life is a difficult life. A life where you don't have any hope, I mean, that's often what causes despondency, depression, suicide. Like, there's nothing that I can do. But there's hope in the Messiah. There's hope in Jesus. But these Gentiles had no hope of Jesus. There was no Old Testament text that they could really go to. It says, oh, the promise is for you. That was a state before Jesus came in the world. And we couldn't expect, we couldn't, we couldn't expect anything from God. But verse 13, we see the turn. One of these blessed butts. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And there's the reality of the gospel. That we, without any promises, having no hope, without God in the world, nothing to claim before God, actually, even though He's still brought us to be near to Himself. Right? And there's only one way for that, for that to come. It's a sacrifice that was sufficient for our sins. That Jesus paid on the cross for our sins. And it says that in verse 14, he himself is our peace. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. That is, the Jew and the Gentile are now one people. They're one people in the church. And again, I just say this is our only hope for resolving the, the racial tension in our society. Is the gospel. And that's, that, that's the only way. Is the gospel come under Jesus and realize that we are, are one in Christ Jesus? Though sadly, even the church doesn't often recognize this. It's been said that Sunday morning hour is the most segregated time in America. Just look around. Just the reality of how things are. But the only way that it's ever going to be reconciled is through Christ and the cross who broke down the dividing wall. So there were Jews on this side, Gentiles on this side. There was a wall between them. And Jesus took out sledgehammer and he broke down that wall so there would no longer be a wall. He did that, verse 15. You see, he's abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two and so making peace. Out of the two, God made one. Out of the Jew and the Gentile, he reconciled them together, resolving the racial tension because in Christ Jesus, we are made right Verse 16, he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. As Christ came to fulfill the law, right, and thereby abolishing all of its claims upon us and bringing us peace through the cross of Christ, bringing peace to the Jew and peace to the Gentile. And now as we want access to God, we come together. So whether we're far off, as Gentiles, or whether we're near as Jews or near and cling to the promises, peace has come to us. And again, it's only through Jesus as the sacrifice. Look at chapter 2, verse 18. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Through the sacrifice of Christ, we can come to God, Jew or Gentile. We both come the same way, through the same spirit, through the same Christ. So that, verse 19, you're no longer strangers and aliens. Gentiles are no longer strangers and aliens. Right? They're not foreigners anymore. They've immigrated. They've come in. They're part of our society now. Right? They are Jews and Gentiles together in the church. 
They are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And this was Paul's drum that he was beating in Ephesians. It's all about the unity of the church. It is what God has done to save us. and He's brought Jews and Gentiles together in one body. In fact, even he calls this the mystery, verse 6. Chapter 3, verse 6. He says in chapter 3 earlier, like, I've known this mystery by revelation. This is what I'm preaching. Here's the mystery. That the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This was the mystery. This was the Old Testament kind of veiled before, but now it's come together, Jew and Gentile, together through the cross. And that's why he speaks in chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Have you been called? You've been called to unity. You've been called as one body, united in Christ. Verse 2, with all humility, chapter 4, verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Any unity that will, ever, any unity that will overcome, will ever experience, in light of the racial tension, will only come through the cross. And I would just say, church family, we have lots to learn about unity in Christ. I would say that the church abroad has much to learn about unity in Christ because when COVID hit, it divided people and churches into more and more camps, split them up. I used to think, oh, yeah, we're a church, we're united on Jesus. We're not united on Jesus. Demographically, we're united. We're united politically. We're united, we're united on worldviews. Right? We should be united on Christ. In order to do that, what's it going to take? Chapter 4, verse 2, it's going to take humility. It's going to take gentleness. It's going to take patience, particularly with those who are different. It's going to take bearing with one another in love. Bearing all things, believing all things, hoping all things. And that's what it takes. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And sadly, in this COVID years, which we've had, there are many people eager not to seek the unity of peace. But have gone the way of just, I want to go to a place that looks like me. Got my convictions. I want to go to a place that preaches Christ and the gospel, and we work through our convictions. We work through our differences. And so even if you see the racial tension here in Ephesians, right, it's describing how Jew and Gentile together, this, this text just really opens that up and manifests that for us. So I think what, what, no, what greater thing we can do than to celebrate the, the Lord's Supper and the cross of Christ, which unifies us. And I just encourage you, right? I even challenge you, right? What, 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 what you bow your heads? Let's just prepare and you think about the, the Lord's Supper. Is, is Christ really the thing that unifies us together? Is, is Christ really the thing that in your heart, in your mind, satisfies you with other people? Do you see the racial tension in our society? Are you doing anything about it? I'm not sure what you can do about it. So much of it's systemic and generational and, and difficult. But are you, are you seeking to cross those lines? Or do you just like to stay on your own little club? Or are you seeking to cross racial lines in genuineness, not seeing people as a project, but being, seeing people in genuine love? Think of anything this text exposes the differences and the cross of Christ shows how we can become one together. Also, just even would encourage you just to look at your life, examine your life, 
say, am I believing in Jesus? If you're believing in Jesus, the celebration of supper is for you. If you're professing Him. If you have sin to confess, we had a time of confession of service this morning. Just even just pledge the Lord. So, Lord, I'm not, I'm not righteous. I'm not, but I want to be, and I need your help. I need your spirit. I need your grace. And may the, may the eating of the bread and drinking of the cup strengthen you this morning as you again affirm, my only hope is in Christ. So, Father, as we celebrate, really, the supper that you have made the two into one, you have reconciled Jew and Gentile in one body through the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross is far more powerful than we think. We think it just may forgive our sins. Not only change and forgive us our sins, it has changed society. Oh, let it change society. Let it change our body. We may walk in holiness and righteousness. So be with us. We sing about the cross. Reflect again upon His sufficient sacrifice for our sins. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.